the Doxed, the podcast. Yeah. Um, okay. So while I was putting my notes together, I kind of had to backtrack a little bit. Like I'm looking up what accountability means. Also kind of journaling what accountability means to me outside of just like the definition of accountability. But then I took a step back to take like more of a macro look of our specific cyberbullying situation. And <clears throat> one thing that came up for both of us at different times throughout this whole thing was staying silent over being silenced, which are two very different things. One is kind of empowering and one is almost dehumanizing. Makes you feel really hopeless, anxious, depressed. And so I kind of wanted to go through the pros and cons of staying silent because that kind of led me into the whole accountability and gaslighting thing after sort of making that list. So I will share with you what I have for the pros and cons. And there aren't very many because ADHD, I didn't spend too long on this (laughs) course. Okay, let's hear them. Okay, so the pros of staying silent during an active cyberbullying campaign. So one, you can avoid further escalation, which I think that was a big fear of mine. Like, oh, if I say something on my TikTok, more people are going to comment and come after me. More videos are going to be made about me. And I think in a lot of cases, responding to your online bullies can kind of fuel the fire and lead to more abuse and more harassment. New burner accounts will pop up or content will be made about you. And one of our other episodes, like that TikTok content ends up on Google. Like if people Google your name and your name is attached to your social media, it'll pop up on the first page of Google, which is kind of embarrassing. (laughs) So staying silent and not responding can kind of help prevent that from getting worse. Second thing is that staying silent can protect your mental health. I mean, if you're choosing to be silent, it can protect your mental health. Because engaging with these really toxic, really abusive people uh, can be really energetically and emotionally draining and depressing. And the anxiety and the fear and the waking up every morning to check your notifications to see what happened overnight and all of that, staying silent and taking a step back can help you recharge and just focus on taking care of yourself and kind of mitigating the stress that can come with that. And then the third is maintaining your dignity. Again, if it's a choice to stay silent, you can do that with dignity. And because responding to cyberbullying, um, I guess for some people, it, it can make you look defensive. Uh, some people would say it could make you look weak or like you're attention seeking. So by choosing to stay silent and maintaining your dignity that way, I don't know, it could, it can make you look like you're refusing or you're choosing not to engage in a battle that maybe you didn't start. But I, I feel like that's so case by case. What do you think? Well, I think it's interesting place to start to talk about silence 
for me as a musician because it's an important consideration in composition and it makes me think of because basically the balance of silence makes the what is said or what is done in the music more important right and I think it kind of applies um to these cases too where you're empowering yourself by choosing when exactly to say something it can load what you do say with power so I think that point about about taking back your dignity aligns with that and I think it's really contextual there's a famous piece of music by John Cage called 433 four minutes and 33 seconds and it's where a performer just comes out on stage and sits there and doesn't he opens the music and he doesn't play music and so the so the kind of uh thought process is what is silence even what is uh the sound that the audience is making as they're sitting there getting increasingly uncomfortable <laughs> by the lack of a performance i think that that speaks to how contextual it is what even is silence and and what is it it can be accomplishing different things depending on the context um so i think all of that background information is very important what are the trolls doing what are what are you not responding to and i think it doesn't affect your legal rights to be i guess silenced or i guess we can say canceled but and i was saying this in the spirituality kind of episodes too there's a reason these first amendment rights are what they are and it speaks to some of the most basic conditions that need to be met in order for people to have freedom and to like live as fully autonomous beings. So mm -hmm. there's a reason why freedom of speech is kind of enshrined in the constitution as a right, as a fundamental right. And it's because it's very important for our well-being. and you're bringing up things like it can cause all these issues with mental health, but I think there's a very big picture thing going on there where it is really important for people to be fully healthy, fully free, fully able to like reach their potential mm -hmm. by having those kind of, that kind of space to speak. I mean, there's really big difference between being silenced and being silenced and choosing silence. Yeah. Like one comes from such a place of power and the other comes from the exact opposite. Yeah, well, I think um, accountability is usually, I think that standard or traditional forms of accountability is usually coming from someone with authority over you, but cancel culture kind of places the authority with a group of people or like a social majority, and that can be a form of direct action like we saw in the early days of Black Lives Matter and the Me Too kind of stuff, but I think it be, it can also become, in depending highly on the context, a form of authoritarianism where it kind of forces groupthink through fear. And mm -hmm. it makes some group of people judge, jury, and executioner. So it depends highly on the context of whether their judgment is good, you know, whether mm -hmm. they Yeah. It. So I think that can be good or bad, but yeah, but there is a huge difference between trying to silence people. And it's interesting what kind of tactics were used to silence us in this situation because they're not all surface level tactics. I mean, it ranged from promoting false rhetoric that would overpower ours in kind of just the public discourse into physically trying to take down videos, um, mm -hmm. succeeding in some cases in banning entire people's accounts 
Laura Faye was banned. Carrie Ann's account is done. Uh, I don't think you've been on your account in a month. Mine was on warning a couple times because so many of my videos were reported. Yeah, so I think, you know, that's a form of silence through direct action. I think also gaslighting and then also, you know, defamation and slander and libel are forms of silencing in that they they take away credibility from you so that when you are saying something, you're less likely to be believed. So well, that that brings me to the cons. <laughs> okay, the cons list of uh, staying silent, staying silent or being silenced. Uh, by staying quiet, you allow false information to spread. And that was one of my biggest fears. And I, I know our situation was kind of unique because there was sort of a bad actor playing as if they were on our side, highly encouraging us to stay silent for their sake, which that's a whole different episode. So there was like, there was a lot of psychological silencing happening, I think, but it does allow false information to spread. And because when you're quiet, it spreads unchecked, which can harm your reputation and make it harder for you to defend yourself in the future because people take control of your story and run with it. And then through that game of telephone, people add little bits and pieces that they think should be added to your story. And then it's just, it's hard to fight because people put the burden of proof on you to prove what they have said wrong, knowing good and damn well, that's not how that works. Well, um, it's, it's not how it works. And I do think it's very difficult sometimes in the face of overwhelming social pressure to think otherwise to remember that you get to decide <laughs> and that these people really don't have control over who you are or how you're behaving or what your motivations are especially but it's a bizarre surreal experience it's the experience of being gaslit to be mm -hmm. to have a bunch of external people trying to convince you otherwise yeah and it's hard, it makes it increasingly difficult to address it, especially on a platform like TikTok that moves at lightning speed. And there's so much information added in by everyone, every minute, every hour, every day. And when your situation, when your cyberbullying campaign goes viral, depending on who you're engaging with, it's like, it's, it's just really hard to wrap your brain around the volume of content that will be made about you and everyone weighing in on it. Um, we're in an age where information just spreads so fast. And part of that information can be false information. And that those falsehoods can really take hold and be accepted as truth. And that's really damaging when it comes to your reputation and with your relationships with other people. And I think in our previous episode, we talked about how we had to come to the harsh realization that a lot of those friendships weren't actual friendships. And when those people fall away, it hurts. But then, you know, when you really think about it, like, were they really friends in the first place? Probably not. But it just seems like online people are way more likely to believe negative information about you that's being shared by a million people. Uh, and it's a shame that it's like that because it seems like the negative information is just more sensational, it's juicier. And so people 
not only believe it, but I think they want to believe it. They want to believe the negativity. Yeah, I think people's brains latch on to the drama and the emotion of it. Um, but this is a very dangerous way to be, to not be more guarded about what you're actually believing when you encounter it online. And we've mm-hmm. seen that with, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this on on here before, but this fire hose of falsehoods technique, which is a known Russian propaganda technique that was used by Putin against Georgia, against Ukraine, um, in American elections. It's very, very dangerous. Um, And you can see people adopting similar tactics in other contexts on online. And TikTok is a perfect breeding ground for it because it's very, everything is very easily ripped out of its context. And that's true across, I think, social media in general, but it's especially true in TikTok. The nature of the algorithm, the nonlinear nature of it, the short form nature of it, just even the design of the app all lends Mm -hmm. itself to extracting the context. So it becomes very easy to just blast people and inundate them with wrong information that you can never, you know, there's no point being anxious about trying to correct for all of the misinformation because there's no way to control it. Yeah. But I I really struggled with that though. Like I think as an autistic person that... (laughs) wants to believe that people want the truth and Mm -hmm. wants to believe that if I'm telling the truth like people are going to believe me right like maybe that's just naivete on my part but my gut instinct is to correct misinformation and I I have these big assumptions like oh well it's the truth so people are going to believe me like absolutely (laughs) not (laughs) and it's it's so overwhelming to stay quiet and to see hundreds of videos be made about me and every single detail is embellished and or just completely made up. And mm-hmm. I think in the case of Ali, there's like the tiniest sliver of truth, but then like a hundred pounds of lies on top of that. So and then and people believe it, but it's so overwhelming. And then those feelings of being really anxious and stressed out about it because we have that really strong sense of justice and it's just hard to wrap your brain around people just lying and lying and lying and it makes you feel really powerless and alone until you kind of step away and realize you know what I can't fight a hundred videos I'm one person I don't have an army of people behind me willing to bully other people because I've never built a platform on that Mm-hmm. And because I didn't build a platform of bullies, I didn't have hundreds of people yeah. bullying someone else for me. So I, I mean, I, suicidal ideation was definitely a thing. It was a theme of my life for like a solid 30 days with this whole thing, because you feel like you just have no hope and no power. I, I definitely identify with the expecting that just because you have sound logic and you know you're right means that people will listen to you and being uh disturbed and surprised when that's just not true just doesn't happen 
I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an autistic thing or what it is, but I relate. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, the second bullet point of the cons is it can encourage more harassment um, because some of your cyber bullies will take that silence as a sign of weakness or like a sign of acquiescence and it'll escalate the harassment in, in their response, mm-hmm. which we got a taste of that too. I think we both kind of waffled back and forth between, no, I'm going to respond to this because this is just a lie and this is stupid. And then we respond and then like, oh my God, that was a mistake. <laughs> um, and also, ever, wait, I don't know if I ever, I don't feel like anything I said was a mistake. And I just want to say that in the face of anybody who thinks otherwise, because I think it's very, I don't feel regret for a goddamn thing I said. I think everything I said was fine. And I think it frustrates me that people want to decide that. I think it frustrates me when people want to decide for me, not you, but a lot of people in this situation wanted to take anything I said and decide that it was wrong and take it out of context. And just to set the record straight. <laughs> and I think people were really mad at me about that too, but I really don't regret a goddamn thing I said the entire time. I think that if I regret saying anything it, on TikTok, that's what right? I regret. Anything I at should all? have always, I regret saying anything on TikTok. TikTok was what I regret because I should have kept it to my podcast and to my YouTube channel because TikTok is a swirling, flushing toilet like it's a whirlpool of shit and anything you say just kind of gets lost in there and then picked up by the wrong people and responded to by people that don't even matter don't even know anything I don't think I mean I feel like I've made mistakes throughout the I maybe the early stages of the drama um but that six-part series that I made originally I'm glad that I made that series I stand by everything I said in that series I don't think anything was false or wrong and I did have to make some follow-up videos to clear up things that people didn't understand or people or things that people that took out of context but I stood in integrity from that series on I stood in integrity the whole time I might have been naive at certain parts of that but I'm not ashamed of having been naive and having trusted a friend that wasn't really a friend I mean, I think that says more about her than it does about me. I just regret taking it to TikTok. Well, multiple friends. I mean, there were a lot of people that were untrustworthy. I don't regret trusting those people, though. I think that I just don't. And I think it's about standing in integrity. Like, it almost just pisses me off that anyone thinks that they can. It doesn't matter to I don't know. I understand, like, I do get wrapped up in my emotions about it, and it is really overwhelming when it's a lot of people, but I just feel like it's taking power away from me to to say that that means that there shouldn't have been anything said on TikTok, or it shouldn't have gone that way, or anyone should have, you know, because you didn't say anything wrong in in that series that I know of. For whatever some of these trolls, the one we call Truth, for example, obsessed with conspiracies that are just nonsense and then when anyone even people that they should listen to like no one nothing to do with us tries to correct them or give them new information can't hear it (laughs) just Mm -hmm. interested in lying just interested in spreading misinformation just interested in stirring up drama 
making everything worse, hurting people, not involved in the situation at all. Truth was the one who uh, called the mother a liar, the mother of the, the person who passed away. I mean, disgusting behavior. And uh, anyway, I just, I don't care. <laughs> I just can't. Like, you don't get my power. Not because I'm delusional, because you don't have that kind of power. I know it's it's different from you. Your platform's different. The people that follow you are different. The size of your platform is different. In the worst part of that situation for me, at my darkest hour in that situation, it was me against what felt like the world. And just the onslaught of video after video after video about me. TikTok was not the place for me to respond. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And I feel like I have a separate platform with a different audience and good listenership. And I did make a video, or not a video, I did make a podcast episode about it. And then I made one with you and like another follow-up one after that. And it felt so much better to do that and to just speak freely and just have this stream of consciousness and just say what was on my heart in long form. And I feel like I should have done that from the start, um, trying to do that in a TikTok series. And I, I did it in a TikTok series and I can't take it back. It's out there. And it was downloaded and chopped up and stitched and duetted. And it fell into the side of TikTok that absolutely hated me. And I don't know, I can't take it back, but I just, I feel like I should have just did it in a different format in a different place. But part of me, I don't know, part of me wanted Allie to see it, which is why I chose TikTok in the first place. Because there's a part of me that wanted her to know, like, you fucked with me. <laughs> and you need to know that that was not cool to do. Like, you have this idea that I'm like some kind of yes man of yours. And that's absolutely not true. Here's a viral hashtag fuck you. And here's the new information that I found that you couldn't lift a finger to look for. Fuck you. That's what that series was. And would she have seen it if I did it in a different format? Maybe not. Maybe this whole thing would not have happened <laughs> if I made it a podcast episode. Or maybe it would have took off in a different way. Putting it on TikTok was specifically for her to see. And I mean, obviously that wasn't going to go over well for me. Yeah, that's just kind of my feelings on it, looking back on it now. I mean, that's all definitely valid. I think we had slightly different experiences, which is understandable. Very but different. Kind of, yeah, but it kind of takes me to my considerations about gaslighting, because I was thinking a lot about gaslighting, because Allie accused me of gaslighting her a lot, and uh, the whole conversation about Darvo that came up and Jade and all that, that came up because she was making videos saying that I was trying to gaslight her. And in reality, she gaslit me. <laughs> That's what I, I think I proved it. You know, I, I made this two hour long YouTube video tracing all the things that she said that were completely inconsistent. And basically to do that, maybe we can put it up on the, on the website. <laughs> so people, Wait, should we define, should should we define Darvo and Jade for people that don't know what those mean? Do you have do you have them pulled up? I think that's a good idea. Darvo stands for deny, attack, and reverse victim. 
and offender or offended. It's a manipulative strategy used to deflect responsibility for one's behavior in denying the wrongdoing, attacking the person making the accusation, and portraying oneself as the victim in the situation. And the strategy can be used in many different types of situations, including interpersonal conflicts, workplace disputes, and even in cases of sexual assault or abuse. Darvo can be really damaging in situations where the power dynamics are uneven, and it can reinforce the belief that the victim was responsible for the abuse or mistreatment that they experienced. And then Jade stands for justify, argue, defend, and explain. And it refers to a communication pattern that people use when they feel attacked or criticized, um, particularly in emotional, like emotionally charged situations. So instead of listening to the other person's perspective, a person who's jading may feel the need to justify, argue, defend, or explain their own behavior beliefs, often to the point of becoming really defensive or argumentative. I guess it can be an effective communication strategy in some situations, but it can be a, a real barrier to productive dialogue and can definitely escalate conflicts. And uh, it's ironic that I think Allie was bringing up Darvo and bringing up gaslighting, and she was doing it in order to portray herself as a victim, <laughs> which is one of those Darvo tactics. But she's bringing up gaslighting, and the point I wanted to make about it was that to understand gaslighting, you have to understand social power dynamics. And I think that's something that's really often misunderstood about it. And I found, so I found this article from Forbes that quoted two experts on gaslighting. One was Dr. Paige Sweet, a sociologist who said, it's making someone seem or feel unstable, irrational, and not credible, making them feel like what they're seeing or experience isn't, experiencing isn't real, that they're making it up, that no one else will believe them. And Dr. Andrew Spear wrote in a 2019 paper, the most distinctive feature of gaslighting is that it's not enough for the gaslighter to simply control his victim or have things go his way. It's essential to him that the victim herself actually come to agree with him. So I think that's really important to understand. You can disagree with someone's idea of reality without gaslighting them, but gaslighting involves controlling them into agreeing with you. And that kind of control requires that you have social power over the other person. I mean, yeah, that's an important part of the whole thing. It's it's a tactic used by abusive people for future abuse. Like it's something that happens in an actual relationship in an established connection with someone. It's not like you have an experience, I have one, and you just want to alter my reality in that moment. It's it's used to break you down and yeah. make you more pliable for future abuse. It's kind of a long game thing. It causes CPTSD. It, it causes brain injury. Like gaslighting is a real awful, awful thing to do with, do to someone. And the way that it's overused and thrown around really pisses me off as someone that spent years in a relationship with a diag with someone with diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder that shit broke my brain and I I'm, I'm not saying that jokingly it caused brain injury for me and I still struggle with ruminating over things that happened in that relationship years later 
because when you're being gaslit and abused in that way, you're, you, you don't trust your own brain. You don't trust your own thoughts. So when it comes to an online bully, that's in this parasocial relationship with you in a, in a doubly parasocial relationship. If you are bullying me and my experience of you is one that you don't agree with because it makes you look bad. That's not me gaslighting you. Like I really need people like I'm getting fired up about it because gaslighting is real. It's a problem and it messes with people's brain chemistry over time. People really need to get their fucking terms straight. It really pisses me off. Well, yeah. I want to ask, do you agree though, that what happened to me was gaslighting? Like that she was gaslighting me or do you disagree that that counts? I believe that she was abusing you. I believe she was gaslighting her platform because the platform is who she had a relationship with. The platform is who she wants to manipulate to make more pliable later for future dramas. You were being abused. And and I'm not at all invalidating what she did to you at all. But I feel like the gaslighting that was happening was impacting the people that followed her in a specific way. Obviously, it was impacting you too, but it's a tactic that's used in a long game strategy for manipulating people. And did she need to manipulate you? No, she needed to manipulate the story to build her following over time. And that included destroying you and trying to hurt you and fuck with your mental health and fuck with your reputation, all of that, which is terrible. But in my opinion, I believe she was gaslighting her followers. I think that she was trying to gaslight me too, although I think that it was more, I mean, I appreciate that. I think that it was more complicated because of the doubly parasocial aspect of whatever our relationship was. And I do think that there's a difference between like being in a long-term relationship with somebody where they're altering your sense of reality in that way where you're just like, and actually (laughs) that happened to me, just not with her in this situation. Um, But there is a difference between that and something where I do have like some external separate sense of my reality. But I also think that her goal was to gaslight me out of thinking that it was allowable for me to believe what I believed. Because I think that she was trying to control everybody outside of herself to believe the same thing as Mm -hmm. she believed. And so I think that she was having a compulsion and a need for me to agree with her. And she was trying to exert that control over me. I do think so in an individual way. And like, I think I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And it's not the same level as being in some kind of a one-on-one relationship with somebody who's doing that to you. And it definitely was a different level when I faced that with somebody on the back end who was doing that. Mm-hmm. It's a different level of scary. There's a different level of danger involved there especially when it's one-on-one because that is somebody that can really destroy your reputation um that Mm -hmm. can make you feel genuinely confused but I still think that what Ali was doing to me was at least an attempt to gaslight me as an individual because I think that it was about about getting me to change the way that I thought or to diminish like there was a lot of language about how my identity was invalid how I could not possibly sincerely believe the things that I believed or that like she was doing that because she was trying to help me or 
um you know even the ratioing I think telling me that I mean the fact that she plastered this is spiritual psychosis telling me that I'm crazy telling me that I need counseling telling me specifically to double whammy threatened about calling my university saying that I should go to university counseling telling me that I do word salad and that I'm just any sort of explanation I offer about anything is just me confusing her and, and lying or I I mean yeah I think that it's just more complicated because it was like a parasocial situation and mm -hmm. definitely more distanced and I am able to maintain a sense of self through that just because I have other life experiences that allow me to and put me in less of an immediate kind of danger through that kind of thing but I can easily see how somebody else in my position would grow to believe what she was saying because of also not just like the 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 rhetoric but the intensity of it it was a barrage mm -hmm. it was a total barrage of people saying all these things and um also a barrage of the amount of video she was sending and I know she did that to a lot of people but yeah specifically about the belief system that's something that I dealt with that I think that um it's it was also not fair to a lot of people that she was going after even some of these larger creators who do have what I would consider harmful things that they're teaching um mm -hmm. it's kind of a spectrum of us but at the end of the day there was a lot of things that it was I think that it was gaslighting I think that's my conclusion I don't want to make light of abusive situations but I think part of the the thing that I consider gaslighting that I face by the commenters especially was there was a lot of people who were saying things like well I've been through real abuse so this you can't claim that it is and part of the reason I think they thought that was because we were we had our faces on there and so it's just kind of this sense of like well you're making it happen by being up there in the first place which itself is gaslighting like you're the victim mm -hmm. but you're, you're causing this to happen to yourself just because you chose to have a public platform you chose to do this kind of a career and there were people that would come into my comments and say things like, well, I was really in an abusive relationship. And so how dare you uh, claim to be in a situation where you're being abused? All you're doing is going online. When in a very real way, I was dealing with a barrage of somebody telling me I'm crazy and not just trying to tell. I mean, they were trying to tell their audience, but I mean, it was also directed at me. I don't know. Maybe that's something I still have to just work through. I've seen, I try not to watch too many of them, but there are definitely videos of my face saying that I was in psychosis and saying that I was creepy and psychotic and a sociopath um, because of my facial expressions and because of my demeanor on camera. <laughs> no one saw how triggered and traumatized I was and maybe that was my autism coming through on screen. I don't know, being able to hold my composure in those moments. Like you've heard me absolutely break down and have complete meltdowns over the phone. And I wasn't about to do that shit on camera. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you were accused of the same thing because you're able to hold your composure oh, yeah. on camera while people like, talking through this stuff. People call me terrifying. People call me scared. That's why I did that whole song. I did a whole song where I was like, it's called autism, autism. I, yeah. <laughs> everybody liked the song. And it was because it was responding to a comment that was saying, you're scary. You look like a sociopath. You have scary dead eyes. And I was like, I'm literally just autistic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, we both dealt with so, that. It's so cruel. And it's so mean um 
did I feel gaslit? No. Like all the stuff that Allie said about me, did I feel gaslit by her? I mean, maybe I should be, but no, I never, I never took what she said as gaslighting me because in the few videos I could stomach watching that she made about me, I know she wasn't talking to me. She was talking to her audience. She could give a shit less what I think. Um, I'm sure she wanted me to see those videos and feel awful and respond to give her to give her license to respond back and keep the the back and forth going. But and I knew that that's what all of that was about. All the videos she made about me, she was hoping that I would have a response for every video to keep this all going so they could just mash me into the ground even further. I just kind of always took that like yeah, it sucks. I want to not be on this planet anymore. I want to die. I, I have to get back on antidepressants. I had to get back on anti-anxiety meds. Like my, my world was turned upside down. It was awful, horrible abuse. Are you tired of feeling unsafe online? Do you want to learn how to protect yourself from cyberbullying, doxing, and other forms of online harassment? Then look no further than Doxed the Podcast. Visit the website doxthepodcast.com to sign up for the Doxed free ebook full of helpful tips and resources for online safety. Plus, when you sign up, you'll receive the weekly newsletter with the latest updates on upcoming content. There are many ways to connect with Doxed, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Have a story to share or feedback to give? Use the contact form on the site to reach out or leave a voice message to be featured on the show. And for exclusive content, subscribe to the Doxed Supercast to gain access to the private podcast feed with member-only exclusives. Take control of your online safety and join the Doxed community today. But I never felt gaslit by her. And maybe that's because of my prior experience, having been in a relationship with someone that gaslit me in every way, every single day for years, for years. This is someone that I could say, the sky is blue. And he'd be like, nope, no, it's not. What are you talking about? It's purple. And I'd be like, wait a minute. Does everyone else think that the sky is purple? Okay, well, I, I guess the sky is purple. No, it's not. It's blue. Like that was my relationship with this person. It was crazy making. And so maybe because I'm still healing from that years later, like, Allie's gaslighting of me, I guess, was just kind of a blip on the radar. I definitely could recognize what she was doing to her own platform as gaslighting. Not to diminish anyone else's experience of being gaslit by her, but I, I think I just interpret it in a in a different way for me. I think that's fair. I think that for me, though, the gaslighting also feels like it comes from the silencing part of it. And maybe that's specific to how I process and deal with stuff, but I have zero issue with anybody disagreeing with me and even with them, you know, saying just a lie about me so that their audience can agree with that lie. That doesn't feel like gaslighting. What feels like gaslighting is that plus then I'm not allowed to have my own space and in my own space say whatever I need to say that is my own true thing. The fact that there was that plus these like very active silency tactics and the fact that I was on TikTok because 
for a few reasons, but one of the major, major reasons was because it was proving to be a really good way for me to talk through a lot of things going on in my life and process them and move through them in a healthy way. So that was taken away from me. Like my, basically my journal <laughs> was, was a place that was no longer safe all of a sudden. So I was unable to even process those things. And I do think that I have some kind of hyperverbal situation going on where I, I very much have to externalize my thinking. I want to look something up before I say, if it's like a true thing, I'm not sure if hyperverbal autism is part of the DSM-5. So that's what I'm pausing about. I identify with a lot of things about the way people describe hyperverbal autism. I was a really, really early reader. And I do think I process the things that I think. I can't, I can't just think them. I make art about them. And that's kind of my way of talking through them or externalizing them in a way that I can even think about them. Like I'm unable to think about a thought until I externalize it somehow like that. And I've been able to kind of make my way through life, figuring out ways to appease that and, and function, I guess. But it's disabling for me to not have a space to talk about the, to, to talk about trauma that I'm going through. It really is. And I, I struggled a lot when I was younger. My parents, uh, still tell a story about when I was a kid and I would talk so much, they would say, summarize. <laughs> that was like something they very commonly told me was please summarize. <laughs> and I didn't want, I couldn't, you know, I have so much to say. And so I've written an opera and I've written a novel and I've written all kinds of stuff. I've done all kinds of art. It's all about processing all the things that I feel because I can't move on from them until I do that. And the second I can do that, the second I'm allowed to, then there's no problem. But it really was the, the surrounding me with lies about myself and then coupled with um, not being allowed to counter that in my own space with my own truth, which I mean, makes this very helpful to me. But I think that's, I just guess it, it's, it's very, it's very directly tied for me to healing, like being able to say stuff. And so I think I was, I just want to claim it. I think I was totally gaslit by Allie. <laughs> and I think it has to do with that. I think it has to do with how my brain works and really needs to be able to, and people don't, people aren't necessarily going to understand that or might think that it's like stubborn, but there's a lot of things I think about how I have to operate and function in the world that I felt guilty about and ashamed about for a long time, or that people would make me feel stubborn, lazy, manipulative about. Um, but I never try to control other people. I'm always just trying to control myself. And so I don't think that those, I don't think just trying to control myself makes me manipulative toward anyone else or lazy or stubborn. And I think part of loving and accepting myself is, is growing to be okay with the things that I know I need in order to function, even if other people aren't going to just believe that that's true. And one thing mm -hmm. I absolutely need is my space to speak, um, whatever the hell I want to say, say my entire piece, and then everyone else can say their own thing. And if I can't get that, I can't function. I really can't mm -hmm. function. So maybe <clears throat> that sounds like petty or small or like, but it really bothered me when people were like, oh, we have, um, we have faced like way worse abuse, you know? And I don't mean, yeah. I don't mean what you're saying. I mean, like a lot of commenters who were just like, this doesn't count. 
even as it's much less gaslighting specifically or whatever, like semantic thing. And it is important to preserve the meaning of words. When you say you felt gaslit by Allie, did you feel like what she was directing at you altered your reality of what you experienced? Did it actually shift your reality of what you experienced? I mean, it didn't shift to align with hers, but it definitely shifted my reality pretty significantly. Like, did you believe one thing about yourself, your behaviors and your actions, and then what she said, did that change what you believed about your behaviors, your actions, and and what you believed about yourself? Well, it didn't, and it did, because it didn't in some, in the simple sense of, you know, suddenly I believe I'm in spiritual psychosis. No, that never happened. But it absolutely put me into uh, the worst depression I've been in since I was, since at least 10 years. I've spent 10 years like climbing out of a depression from when I was 21 and doing thriving, doing great. Um, mm-hmm. and And fell back into the worst depression of my adult life, I would say during one part of this because of the situation the, the barrage and it wasn't just depression it was like a sense of hopelessness where mm-hmm. and I do you know what I do I'm gonna claim it again I do think it did it changed my it affected my sense of reality because it's not and it's not in the way of oh I, I must be psychotic but it was in the way of she really wanted to she really hated and was jealous and wanted me to not have hope And that's what has been a big part of my entire message the whole time. My whole idea about talking about spirituality was because I saw that in the world right now, in this moment, we need hope. And that became like so vitally important that it had to be true because there's nothing else for it. We are just at a point where we need hope or else we don't survive at all. And that was scary. You know, like I really, really wanted to have hope so much that I came to believe that that was, that was fundamentally true. Yes. Hope. And then I went on TikTok and then dealing with this entire situation, I lost hope for a solid period of time in there. And it was because of this barrage of behavior. And that was something very fundamental to me. And yes, I also was considering killing myself at a time of this, you know, um, Mm -hmm. which I have never gotten to that point in my entire adult life since I was about 21. I'm 31. So my whole, for 10 years, I've been not at all in that kind of a space until more than a month into this situation, you know, for more than a month, I was not there and it dragged me to that place, which is again, when, when hope is something so fundamental to my philosophy, yeah, I would say that it affected my reality in that sense. And then I bounced back quickly enough, I think, because because I had friends around me too, and I could had ways to be grounded. I had a therapist who helped me stay grounded and remember who I was. And I am a strong person who generally can pick myself back up. But yeah, I mean, it really affected me. Like, and I, and I just don't even think that I've had, I think we both have experienced not being allowed to fully talk about this in a way where we can even, we can even be vulnerable about our feelings and our emotions about it. Yeah. I feel like fully gaslit by this whole situation. Yes, I do. And I think that could be different. It's valid if you don't. And if you don't think it, if you think if, if it even diminishes it, um, but that was my experience. I don't think it diminishes it. I just, I'm trying to understand. 
I'm just trying to understand your experience of gaslighting because I think it's important to talk about and I think it's important for people to hear because it's a term that's so overused and this conversation is so important for people listening because that word is so overused. So I'm not trying to challenge your experience as being gaslit. I'm just, I'm trying to get you to talk about it so people can hear your experience of being gaslit because I think the specifics of that are important. And yeah, there are different degrees of being gaslit. There's different levels of relationship. There's different levels of the aftermath of being gaslit. Like for me, I think I've experienced gaslighting on all kinds of different levels throughout my whole life. Like starting with my dad, like in my early childhood, I've talked to you a little bit about what he was like growing up. He was very violent, very abusive. Like the things I witnessed him do to my mom and to my sister, I'm pretty sure he has like very serious mental health issues. There's definitely a personality disorder there. And I would say that my sister was like the scapegoat, black sheep, and I was the golden child. So he would do awful things to them, make me witness it as a little girl, I guess, to kind of control me like, oh, you don't want this to happen to you. So watch this so you can keep yourself in check kind of thing. And then after I would see him and hear him do these really abusive things to my mom and my sister, then he would take me out for ice cream or or take me over to the Space Needle. We'll go we'll go on like a, a daddy-daughter outing. And he would say to me, remember when I came home and your mom just started yelling at me out of nowhere and she was so mean to me? You remember that, right? Like... <laughs> That, that to me, that's gaslighting. Like trying to absolutely alter my experience of what I watched and heard what I saw him do. But I mean, it was so obvious. Obviously I knew better even as a little kid, but I think what was more insidious of a gaslighting experience for me was in that last relationship I was in. I was with this person for five years And the gaslighting was like, it was subtle. It was covert. It was, (laughs) it was, I had Chipotle for lunch. No, you didn't. You had, you had McDonald's for lunch. What are you talking about? Oh, no, no, I didn't. I had Chipotle for, like, it was things like that all the time. We would have full-on conversations. Like, (laughs) there is one in particular where he said to me, when we first moved in together, he moved into my apartment. And we were talking about like the division of domestic labor, because that was something that was important to me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, um, you know, as a kid, I, after school, I would work in this Buddhist temple and we had to mop as part of our chores every day. And I just, I mopped every day for years. And one thing I don't ever want to do is mop. That's like the only chore I don't want to do. And I said, okay, that's fine. Like two years later, two whole years later, I was mopping and he was like how come you you always mop you know I can mop you you never asked me to mop and I was like you said to me that the one thing you never want to do is mop he was like I've never said that what are you talking about why are you making things up (laughs) like that like 
imagine that sounds so stupid and so little but when it's every day every conversation you've ever had with someone it's brain breaking so then when it escalates to them calling you a bitch and a whore and a slut and you cheated on me and you did this and I saw you looking at this guy when we went out for drinks the other night and I know you probably did something with him in the bathroom you're such a whore you're such a this and that I I look through your phone and who's this that's the guy's name like when it's things like that and you start to believe like oh my god am I a terrible person and then when you start to defend yourself because you're autistic and you have a strong sense of justice and it just doesn't make sense that someone would just lie about everything then it started you're so abusive to me why are you gaslighting me that's not what happened why are you saying this and me defending myself because he was gaslighting me and I didn't know what that was at the time he convinced me that I was abusive to him he convinced me that I was gaslighting him to the point where that's the first time I went to therapy because he told me I was so abusive and so awful and he was so hurt and his mental health was so bad because of me. And I was so horrified by that. I believed it and it broke me. And that was the first time I signed up for therapy. And I showed up in my therapy session and was like, she asked me why I was there. And I was like, well, I'm here because I abused my boyfriend and he's so hurt by me and I don't know how to stop. And I explained everything that had happened between us. And she was like, you're the one being abused. Do you know that he's abusing you? And this is what gaslighting is. So when I say like it alters your reality, like I understand what you're you're saying, but like he changed what I thought about myself. I believe that I was an abuser because of what he said. And like, I'm still in tears about it, like almost four years later. Because it, it it really, it, I internalized it so deeply. Because no one had ever said that I was an abuser before. And the way he made me question every thought that I had, I believed that I was hurting him. But it was like I was experiencing brain damage from what he was doing to me. I didn't mean to get into like this to get so emotional, but like this is something that just it matters so much like the language of it and the specifics of it it matters so much so when people on stupid tiktok throw around the word gaslighting because they believe some bullshit lie for a situation that they're not even a part of it just pisses me off so bad and like yes there's different levels and different degrees to it but like Cyberbullying is so serious and abuse is so serious even when it's just online because it's not just online because you would experience it in your brain and in your body and in your nervous system. It's not just online. It, it, it's not any less impactful or any less damaging because it's on an app, you know? Yeah, well, it's really, I want to give you space to talk about that because it's all completely related. And I don't think I've experienced that level of being in an intimately abusive relationship. The worst part of it is that you don't notice it. It's like a slow drip. It's a slow drip. And I would go so far as to say, I felt gaslit by Well, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say that although it's never been at that level for me, I absolutely had, again, on the back end of this. A relationship with somebody who was very definitely gaslighting me and I do think Allie was too but I think it is different levels 
And because there was with the person on the back end who was gaslighting me for a few months, it had to do with the amount that we were talking one-on-one um, to where it almost became like brainwashing, which, which Allie was not able to do be- to me because it's not like I was in her cult. So that point definitely stands. Brainwashing. That's the word. Exactly. Yeah, brainwashing. And, um, but yeah, there was a person who was, who was manipulating people's sense of reality, um, behind the scenes for a while. And it's just frustrating because I don't think that I was like, in one sense, I, I don't think that anybody was so badly manipulated that, it, that I don't, that I regret anything I did or that we ended up doing bad things on behalf of someone but it is that sense of confusion. I remember having some conversations with that person toward the end and starting to realize what was happening. But one thing that they were doing that was a very direct gaslighting tactic was they had gotten they had gotten very hyped up about this idea that we were going to do a project together and then stop talking about it completely all of a sudden one day to where in my head it was like, are you why are you acting like we never, ever talked about this before? And I started to catch on and had a conversation or two with her where I was kind of playing the part of someone who was being gaslit in order to just understand a little bit better what was going on before going cold turkey on the relationship because it had been such a startling turnaround from this extremely sweet person, which in retrospect was love bombing, to um, I guess you call it breadcrumbing, but I remember pretending to be like, wow, I'm so confused about what's happening. I just don't understand. And I'm, and I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling disempowered because that's usually how a conversation leaves you when somebody's really gaslighting you and the level of just like malicious glee, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. that came from that person when she thought that I felt that way was chilling in a way that, um, in a way that it was not with Allie. And again, like, I I think that person for all the idea of brainwashing, I really didn't do anything I regret. I really still stood in integrity the whole time, which is really hilarious because now that that person's all over the place trying to cause drama and, and all the trolls that have no idea what's going on are yelling about how we've all been exposed and we've been sold out and like, okay, good job. I didn't do anything that I regret. So either you're going to Photoshop some shit or you mm-hmm. have no um, but regardless, like that was definitely, that was a different kind of experience. Um, I think that was like dealing with a covert narcissist versus not a covert narcissist versus somebody mm-hmm. that just... One thing Allie did really commonly was to insist on some kind of version of a story and then say, that's what happened. Okay. That's all that happened. Okay. And it just, um, it really was like insisting on some version of reality that just uh, mm-hmm. you're you're being pressured to agree with again extremely different levels and um i also just want to circle back and say that i don't mean um my tone i think comes off as really harsh when i start to feel impassioned about something and especially when i am genuinely upset about it and dealing with it and i don't have any problem with you challenging things that i'm saying as we're talking and i just want to make that clear because i think it's often misread and probably less likely to be misread by you because you're a fellow autistic person. But mm-hmm. I, by a lot of people, I can come off as, 
I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of judgment that comes with the tone. And I just, uh, I mean exactly what I say and mm-hmm. yeah. very okay with being challenged about ideas. And if I have a tone, it's really because I was just very deeply hurt by this whole situation. And I have not had any space besides a space to talk. And I mean, neither have you really, I don't think. And so uh, I'm, it's going to be not perfect. And I, and I just know that that's like, that's a way where whenever I get vulnerable with that or get careless with it, it can bite me in the ass. So I just want to give that explanation. Yeah. I think, I think as we continue to do this and people get to know us and get more familiar with our communication style, it will translate fine. But I think it is an important thing to note when it comes to tone and maybe it'll read differently because we're both autistic and I think we get each other like <laughs> it's hard to interpret nonverbal cues for for me so in podcast form when it's just audio and we're just talking over the phone I think because we've done this so many times like I I understand you and I understand your your ups and downs and I can discern the difference in the different tones that you have. Our friendship started in trauma. Like, (laughs) like we're, as we're continuing to get to know each other, like I know where you're coming from and I know where your heart is. And I know that you mean what you say. And I think, you know, I mean what I say. And that's also a very autistic thing to communicate directly and literally. It would be different if one of us was neurotypical. I think it would be a mess if one of us was neurotypical and the other was autistic, but, um, or one of us was allistic and the other autistic. And I also think it's an important thing for people to hear to autistic people have a conversation because I think this is, this is kind of a rare thing. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. And I mean, of course, the same to you. I do think that it's a really unique circumstances under which this entire relationship formed. I don't think it's just a trauma bond. I think that I think that we've shared a lot of friendship moments that are also outside of trauma and it's started mm-hmm. to stand the test of just um actual time as things are all kind of falling out and falling into place wherever they wherever the cards lie. I don't think it's just coming from trauma, but yeah, we've sort of been through a lot of a lot really quickly and I think that I do feel like comfortable to be more vulnerable around you because I do think that you you have almost already seen me at some at pretty much my worst which is terrible that's not how you want to front load a friendship but um (laughs) but I mean it was what it was we both we both were in that really dark place yeah but I mean you really held space for me and we're a great friend and um and anyway, I think uh, part of me being vulnerable is being vulnerable enough to not watch my tone, which is like masking, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I think that I I have awareness and even anxiety about managing things like tone and other things, which is essentially what masking is, but it's because I can kind of anticipate the backlash on certain things. Mm-hmm. And when I do feel really safe with people, I think part of, yeah, part of what people, people that I can feel safe with have, would, would have to understand about me is that I, I do have kind of a tone sometimes that can read as like, but I really do just mean what I say. And it, and it really, 
can be so painful when people read into that and think that I must be duplicitous or that I must be, I don't even know what, like I'm being aggressive or something. No, I was just, I'm just genuinely hurt and trying to express that openly without sort of being guarded about that. And then mm-hmm. I appreciate having a friendship where I can do like, I really appreciate like what a rare, beautiful thing to have a friendship where I don't have to feel judged about that. And I can just be, and part of being is like not having the perfect tone. But anyway, I mean, that's a whole long sidetrack thing, but it, it gives me some anxiety to get up and just, you know, as we're processing, like it's, it's kind of a messy, it's kind of a messy business. Um, but I appreciate yeah, it. I, I think it's okay for it to be messy. And I think unmasked friendships between autists is important for quality of life. I, I really do. Well, I really appreciate that. I think it makes my life better. It definitely makes mine better. I don't love having to be on for people all the time. And I've noticed that friendships where I do have to really watch my tone and watch what I say and kind of put myself on eggshells because again and like anticipating the backlash those are friendships that I burn out on really quickly and have to take like long breaks yeah from which eventually like it damages my friendships over time um my friendship circle of like really close lifelong friends that I'll know I'll be I'll be connected to forever um there's a reason why there's no mutual friends (laughs) well two of two of the people in my circle are mutuals but my friends are all over the country because there's no rhyme or reason to it it's just people that I can be unmasked in myself with and people that I can't that's what determines whether or not I'll burn out on a friendship um so it's it's important to this friendship is important to me like I I need you to know that (laughs) this friendship is very important to me because it's the first one I think I've ever had that started unmasked. Oh wow. That's mm-hmm. cool. That's super it's cool. A big deal. Yeah. What a world. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's quite true, <laughs> but it's a rare and special thing. It really is. You know what though? Okay. One of the only other people I can think of that that's the case that I've experienced that as well before was another person I met on TikTok because we both got drawn into tiktok autism space (laughs) and we were like oh we're like witchy autistic tiktok people and then we met up and got really along and we're just like immediately able to unmask and talk all about kind of special interests and autism and i feel like um it's a shame that you have talked about how that autistic tiktok space is kind of seems to be devolving or kind of everybody's moving past it as a moment but there was something really healing about it something really important about drawing people together like us into those spaces to find each other. And I think it's mm-hmm. super empowering. And I think it allows for, it allows for more of a grip on the reality where we're allowed to just be the way that we are. I think growing up, I'm 31. So growing up in the nineties, there was no talk of autism. And when I talked to my parents about it they're surprisingly supportive I kept expecting and the same thing with my queerness my parents are surprisingly like you be you okay and I'm like really I thought you were going to be like disappointed <laughs> you know but um so good for me but the conversation I had around autism with my mom especially was nobody talked about it back then that wasn't language that you had really autistic meant something very different and it mm-hmm. was pretty much derogatory 
Um, it was something that people felt was very taboo. It was something that even, I think in some cases, parents, doctors tried to tell the parents that their children were autistic. The parents didn't even want to hear it because mm -hmm. uh, they were afraid of what that might mean for your child in the world. Um, because the world isn't set up for that. Only I think things are changing and there's more spaces for unmasked autistic friendships and relationships. And yeah. I think that's for the best. I think the world's better for it. I think I'm better for it, but I think the whole world is better for it. I agree. Um, I think a couple decades ago, especially in the 90s, autism had one face. Autism looked one way to people. Yeah. It, people didn't consider it to be a spectrum or their idea of that spectrum was is very different from what it actually means. Yeah. And there's still challenges with that, with people looking at people like you or me or hearing us speak and thinking, oh, well, maybe you're just a little autistic. Like, no, that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. autism is autism and there's comorbidities to it and all sorts of other factors. But like the support needs are real, whether you're nonverbal or no matter what your challenges are, like the support needs are are pretty high for a lot of us. The difference in the whole high functioning, low functioning, awful rhetoric around that is my autism doesn't make other people as uncomfortable. Yeah, you as can just operate someone else's autism. High functioning yeah. just means you're a better worker under capitalism, which is like irrelevant to my personal well-being you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah about support needs um those can also change I think that's an important thing for people to understand too is that you can go a long time without very many support needs only for circumstances to change things changed a lot for me around COVID I think they changed for a lot of people around that um mm -hmm. but just generally as you grow throughout your life and come under different kinds of circumstances your support needs can totally change. And the world is not really set up to give any kind of resources or accommodations or support toward adult autistic people, especially people who are not white men. There's really no, there's really no, you're not claiming any kind of accommodations or support in the world by claiming that identity. But I think that, I think that the more that we talk about it and the more that it is a part of just cultural rhetoric, the more that there will be spaces carved out for it and that will lead to better accommodations, better resources, and just like better connections because it's like it connected people like us into communities. I mean, it's, it's, it's even not just us, like where a lot of the, a lot of the creators involved weirdly and yet not so weirdly, the people that we, you know, you and I stayed friends with were the autistic creators. Those were the people mm -hmm. who were here for justice, who were here to do the right thing, who stood in their integrity. You know, not every autistic person stood in their integrity, but like the people that did were autistic in my, in my personal experience in this. And um, mm -hmm. for the most part, maybe an exception or two in there. But I think that that is, that kind of community wasn't really, it couldn't really be a thing before there was language for it. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that that's all shifting and that's really, really exciting. Um, and it speaks to something bigger that we were able to even connect, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, it's very, very powerful 
and it's happening in a macro level as well as a micro level, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unfortunate that it happened through a whole cyberbullying campaign, but it's still, I don't know if I can say that it was worth it yet, <laughs> but I think the fact that it sparked this podcast and we're able to have these conversations for people that need to hear it yeah. is definitely a positive. It's definitely a plus also I mean we went on kind of a long tangent (laughs) an important tangent but I do want to circle back to like we covered the whole gaslighting thing but I do want to circle back to the accountability part of things yeah me too and defining that there's this weird phenomena that that takes place in cyberbullying especially when you're waffling between choosing to stay silent and maybe being silenced against your will, wanting to correct stories, but maybe can't because it makes things worse. So people sort of take over the story and run with it and add their little pieces here and there. And it becomes this freight train that you can't stop of false information. But then there comes uh, the demand to take accountability for your actions and behaviors, even though those actions and behaviors are sometimes fabricated or exaggerated by the bullies and abusers themselves yeah um like we're accused of things that we didn't do or say but then pressured to take accountability and and, uh, apologize or take responsibility for things that never even happened or even whether just the things that did happen were actually wrong because it goes back to a group of people often uneducated people are just the judge and jury and executioner of what's happening. And um, I found this Pew Research Center thing that was talking about, it was in 2021, but it was t- I was just giving quotes and statistics about what people think about cancel culture and accountability. And um, it brought up the, the word offensive a few different times. So somebody that was described as a woman, 30s liberal Democrat says cancel culture is a movement to remove celebrity status or esteem from a person, place, or thing based on offensive behavior or transgression. And then another person who's described as a man, 70s moderate, no partisan leaning, says cancel culture means rewriting history and stopping the acknowledgement of facts because they are offensive to a racial, religious, ethnic, economic group, etc. And so offensive is a fascinating word because it means extremely different things. And this goes back to what I was trying to express earlier, I don't think I did a great job at the beginning about social power dynamics and how they play into what the judgment is that's being made. You know, the context is important because like, for example, if someone does blackface and that's obviously offensive to black people, but the reason is not arbitrary. It's because of there's actual harm that is caused because of racial power imbalances. So there's like a real social thing happening that causes real harm. And then versus if a white person just reads a tone into a black or if an holistic person reads a tone into an autistic person's voice and finds that offensive, those are different things because one is disrespecting someone's fundamental self. And one is the other one, I think is kind of in a way disrespecting someone's sense that they should have social authority. Like when you, when you feel entitled to having social power because you have it and you have that privilege or whatever you're centered, then when somebody quote unquote disrespects your authority, like if you're expecting, and I think this is like a whiteness thing too, you're expecting that everyone needs to be nice, you know, Mm -hmm. 
and then somebody mm-hmm. speaks out and is rude but by speaking out you take an offense to that and it feels to you like it's at the same level as when somebody's fundamental personhood is being violated by someone's behavior you know what i mean because if just mm-hmm. privilege, you don't understand that it's a totally different thing but i i think that it's about that entitlement to authority i think within the context of what we experienced there were so many offended parties that kind of had no real reason to be offended because they were offended by things that didn't happen thank you for listening find additional content at doxedthepodcast.com